Cave of Cool Podcast, Iteration 6. From the lands of Western Canada. Excelsior! Welcome to this week from the Cave of Cool. of Western Canada, the Wakanda of the North. Welcome to This Week on the Cave of Cool. With the sad death of Stan Lee this week, we are presenting a tribute. Stan the man, Stan the legend, Stan the myth, Stan the only one who could possibly create an entire universe that influences popular culture the way that he has. Usually it's just me and MD here, but we have invited Chris Lockhart and Eric Allen Johnson to join us in the discussion. There's a lot of perspective here, there's a lot of uh, joy, there's a lot of interest. As we celebrate the life of Stan Lee. Hey, Cal, what's Calvin's Canadian Cave of Cool all about? Well, Calvin's Canadian Cave of Cool is the source for everything cool on the Internet. It's my passion. I've been doing it for 10 years. My blog, 42,000-plus posts. I do possibly keep up unless you show up every day to see the cool that I am presenting to you. Of course, you put in Calvin's Canadian Cave of Cool, Cave of Cool, or just Canadian Cave of Cool, or any variation of those words, and it will come up on the Google, and you'll be able to see all the joy that I'm spreading in this world. It's got the Stan Lee stuff that we're going to be talking about today. It's got all of the kind of clips and videos that I finally got to our, our YouTube page, and I'm trying to figure out how to add all these cool videos that I've been finding as I'm going through my archives, because we are going to have a Cave of Cool YouTube page where you can find... Everything interesting that we're talking about, all the videos that uh, I may bring up, the story that I will talk about today about Moby Dick and how it relates to a stabbing in the Arctic, as it should, because I hate that horrible book. But anything cool like that, interesting, pop culture, movies, television, you come to the Cave of Cool first, I will have that information for you, and then you can move on to your honey boo-boos and everything else that entertains you. And I know you're listening to the podcast right now, but if you want to find more... Go to caveofcool.podbean.com. If you're on Podbean, you can follow us. Or if you're on iTunes, go to podcast, do a search for This Week from the Cave of Cool, subscribe, leave a comment, rate us, even give us one star. We love that kind of validation. We do. We do. We don't believe it. You know, we think you're a podcast-hating mutant if you give us one star. But you're, it's your right. I guess we have to, I have to go with that, right? Leave a comment. We'll give you a shout-out on the show if we like what you say. Okay, well, this has been a bit of a sad week with the passing oh. of Stan Lee, uh, plus a couple of other notable passings, which we will get to later. Oh, um, God, but how can you miss that? And especially with the news that's come out lately. I've got so many cool things to think about today and talk about. The big, the big event overshadowing us this week is the passing of Stan Lee, and Stan Lee influenced us in, in so many different ways. Oh, uh, you his, can't even count the ways. Yeah, uh, despite what Bill Maher has said, oh, Stan Lee... Oh, has has a lot of influence on the popular culture and on you know I mean comic books as literature. Come on, you can't even make that argument. There's no way you can possibly make the argument that Stanley is is inconsequential. First of all, you're you're starting from a premise that comics are inconsequential. That there's mm -hmm. some things you're supposed to leave behind, like you can't wear uh, big boy diapers, right? 
until when you're older enough that you start wetting your pants again, right? And you can't <laughs> control that. It's like that you can leave behind. But why do I have to leave comic books behind so I can be some smug, elitist, semi-literate political uh, talk show host? Again, and I say this because I love Bill Maher. Yeah. I mean, Bill Maher oftentimes speaks what I'm thinking, and, and he brings it all to one kind of coalescence on, on right-wing politics and the way they cheat you and lie to you and steal from you, and, and religion, which does the exact same thing, only they add your soul to it, you know? Yeah. Like in the Middle Ages, they sold those in Sizzles, get out of hell free cards, yeah. right? People and had to pay yeah. church. Yeah, that's right. And that's how they funded everything on that kind of big bullshit lie, right? Mm-hmm. But Bill Maher really, you know, he understands that. And the fact that he is so ignorant, ignorant to Stan Lee and, and the fact that all of us have been thinking all week, what can we possibly say about Stan Lee in, in one kind of sentence? How can you describe the man? When you're the heart, the beating heart, of, of uh, a, a whole literary universe, and, and somebody doesn't understand said more people know Stanley's about Stanley's death and Bill Maher's uh, being alive. That's what, yeah, that's right? what, um, that's what Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman said, yeah. As some, <laughs> right. someone and said, t- t- you know, read Sandman and you'll see that comics are literary. I mean, oh. and honestly, they are. You, you, I don't even have to make the argument. The existence of Art Spiegel's mouse. Um, oh, thank you. That was that was my go-to example too. And I also go to Persephilis, which is another obscure. Exactly. Work, which might, you know, it was assigned to my daughter. My daughter was taking a, a courses in uh, at, at UBC in Near oh, Eastern no. Religious Studies, and which that was one of those the textbooks that was assigned to her. Oh yes, yeah. And Mouse, I read that in university mm-hmm. and Grandeur College, actually. Yeah, so and it was a first year English class. So it, they're they're if they're accepted by colleges and universities, they are literature, and they are literature. I mean, it, just because they've got pictures with them. God damn, I would be appreciative if Moby fucking Dick had pictures with him. I'm going to burn in, well, a, in a fire. It, yes. But I'm just, we'll get to that. But um, again, bringing more of this week from the Cave of Cool into the conversation. But Stanley, the beating heart of an entire universe. He gives credit to the artist because it is not the art without him. But he had a way of just framing things and set down that edict, the Marvel style where there was no room for prejudice or bigotry unless you're fighting those those things because every human being on the planet was part of one family. And he tried to build a family of people who thought the same way he did about the important big questions, right? Life, death, end of the universe, sacrifice, uh, love, responsibility, um, all those things. And Stan was the, the beating heart of all that. And for Bill Maher to not get that and to say it out loud and there was a couple other people that did, t- did too Mike Francesa who's an asshole from New York radio um, said something like that but that's like saying Rosa Parks just sat her ass on a bus right mm-hmm. it's, it's the guy is a, is a pop cultural um, um, icon I mean there should be some place like maybe San, uh, San, Di- uh, San Diego where they put a statue to him because mm-hmm. like the Freddie Mercury statue that they have in Europe there yeah. of him in the orange uh, the yellow coat mm-hmm. it, there should be a Stan Lee with him standing with his hands on his hips you know, mm-hmm. or pointing to the future or something in Disney. You know, there's got to be something there, a Stanley, some kind of tribute, because well, the more I, I think I, about it, the more insane. I, I can Sorry. take Bill Maher. I can take or leave Bill Maher, but he definitely missed the mark. And the Internet is kind of piled on. The guy's a pothead, and, and, he, and he hangs with Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey, and he's never read a fucking comic book. My God, what <laughs> is the man doing, right? <laughs> You're sitting stoned out in Hawaii, and you tell me you don't gotta, you know, you see a, a, a you know, you don't go into a comic store and just load up for a while. God, <laughs> I just, I just don't understand it. Well, you, I you mean, know, it, even it if you don't read comics, to, to not be aware 
of the uh, the incredible influence it's had. I mean, you know, I mean, even as a kid, you 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 know, the biggest movies of the last few years would not be possible Millennium because of theory. you know. And I mean, you can you can poo poo the source all you want if you know just because it's a big movie, but you know, there that did come from somewhere. Yeah, then you're poo pooing Shakespeare from another time, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're poo pooing the Herodotus and the Iliad and the Odyssey and all those kind of things, Homer. Yeah. Because that's all it is. It's just a tradition of storytelling mm-hmm. and that influenced a generation of storytellers that now are using the medium that they have available to them. Imagine when everything goes kind of VR and, and live experience when you're the hero in the, those worlds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to blow your mind. That's yeah. when you're not going to want to leave the, 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 the Matrix <laughs> because then you're going to get what you want, man. I still get chills. I told you when I see that Thor scene, when Thor kind of comes into Infinity War there on the Bifrost and everybody's cheering. Yeah. And he's got Stormbreaker in his hand. He's got Groot and he's got Rocket. And it's just like, holy shit. That, it's like my whole life just coalesced into this one moment, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you hear the cheers for the audience. It just chills. Chills. And nothing in my life gets me going like that. We are going wow. to be bringing in uh, a couple of other people to talk about Stanley and his influence. We've got um, yeah. Chris Lockhart and Eric Allen Johnson, who will be joining us and uh, giving us their thoughts. Meet the sulky, over-bunky, kind of hunky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically erotic and aquatic superhero. Environmental superheroes have arrived. Joining us from Midland, Michigan, Eric Allen Johnson is a, an artist, a caricaturist. Some of his clients include Nickelodeon, the Salvation Army, and currently works for Cayman's Art Shop. From Barhead, Alberta, Chris Lockhart joins us. He is a writer, a podcaster, and former host of the Geek Fallout podcast. Gentlemen, welcome. We're talking about Stan Lee. His recent passing mm-hmm. uh, has affected us all, and we're, we're just doing a tribute about... What he means to all of us. What did he do but just sit at that writing desk and pound out these stories? I mean, what did he do? The guy did um, everything. The guy was a, the guy's a, a you know a, a freaking legend. I'm still dealing with the the loss of this. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. last week was all Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody, and that hurt my heart just to remember all that. Um, to have this happen just right, fresh like that. I mean, come on, the guy's 95. What were we thinking? Yeah. I mean, it was going to go. Uh, we should have all prepared, but none of us did. We all thought it, we all have in our heads that conversation we would mm-hmm. have had with him if we had met him and hung out with him. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I that I absolutely despise the idiot uh, Liefeld because not only the Kirby contact he had, but the contact he had with with Stanley. Um, and and just to be able to, to to pick the great man's brain. I mean, sure, not everything. Scriparella is an example. Um, hit the target, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the man in his 40s created an entire universe and and rewrote, rewrote the rules of of popular culture. It was, it's a it's a, a mythology. It's a it, like without Stan Lee, you could, there would be no uh, Joseph Campbell and things like that. I mean, the hero's journey, all that, all that. You can you can do so much with Stan Lee that he he just is pop culture. I mean, he is just the embodiment of it. And nobody loved pop culture and, and his part in it and his, his the thing that got him there, the comic books and the comic book stories, than Stan Lee. He was the biggest fan. He made you feel good about being the only kid in your group or that you hung with that were totally into comic books. 
He made he made you feel like you're part of a a a world that it, you could be the hero in, because you had all the same uh, failings that uh, his heroes did, and all human beings do. So, hats off to you, Stan. I mean, this is one of the things that people just will never get over, and I'm going to be one of them because he, you know, my father taught me a lot about about uh, about life, but Stanley just reinforced the best lessons. So when you got an idiot like Trump and his racist ilk. Um, and his hillbilly Nazis. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one that will fight that kind of thing because of Stanley. Because Stanley showed me a, a different way, a better way. And you know, I, a lot of times I look at those mutants, especially the ones on the Gifted, and I go, God damn it! Can you guys have a, a fun day? One fun day. Go to go to uh, Eric's uh, haunted amusement park. You know, go hang out with the ghosts of the banana splits. I don't care. Have a happy good day. But being a mutant sucks, and it should suck. Being the right kind of mutant, uh, being mm-hmm. the, the bad mutant is never is, is is never an easy thing either. And uh, just all that all the stuff that he real world stuff that he brought in, he he, he, he Magneto's a perfect perfect example of a villain who you get his perspective because Stan gives you a reason to to see his point of view that maybe he's not all evil because yeah. of the things he's trying to prevent. And Stan, that there's a there's a thing I want to add, and I'll, I'll let the other boys talk here for a second. Um, there's a thing I'm going to add, I want you to add, and it's Stan, it's really, I think it was a couple months ago, and he's talking to the camera, and he's talking, giving that same old th- speech that I read when I was 10 um, mm-hmm. in the back of a Marvel comic about there's no room for racism or intolerance, that the Marvel Universe and the Marvel style of storytelling is totally against that. It's about heroes. It's about mm-hmm. telling triumphant stories of teamwork and then acceptance and things like that. And that's always been the way it is, and that's always the way it's going to be. And it, it's just very moving to see something like that. Somebody champion something like that. Hi, heroes. This is Stan Lee coming at you. want you to know Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, But the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words... Excelsior. And I want to thank having uh, um, Eric and Chris here. Uh, for a long time, I did the Geek Fallout podcast with Chris, and Eric often um, showed up. His caricatures are amazing, and they mm-hmm. do get better every year. In order to cave of cool, right top corner, you can see the caricature he did of me as the heroic champion of the people and the motherland that I am in the Matrix. So, uh, you know, so he gets me, so I appreciate that. And also appreciate Chris. So um, this is, and again, with Stan, in the spirit of Stan, I'm being, you know me, I'm a delicate hothouse orchid, and I do not like to share. I'm sharing with you out of respect and love and gratitude for 
how you helped me be the, um, the great podcaster I am um, today. Well, I must uh, I must thank you, Cal, for having us here. I really appreciate it. Chris, I understand you have a story, actually, of being close enough to actually touch him. And you could have Jason Momoa'd him, you know? Well, I, I, I definitely think security would have tackled me out of trying to, oh, but so what? to do something. But, um, <laughs> so no, what? I, I, well, I was there with my kid, too, so. Um, better. Sorry. I, I, I yeah, it was back down. in 2012. He was at the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. And, you know, he was, like, and that year was huge. That year, like, they had the entire cast of The Next Generation there. They had Adam West. Wow. They had like it, it was just this immense lineup, and uh, of course, you know, being a you know, I'm a, first and foremost a Star Trek guy. I had to get my picture with Patrick Stewart, which was like a four hour lineup. Wow! And then the next one, it, it, like just the way the schedules fall and stuff at conventions, sometimes you can't meet the people you want to meet. So I had a choice. I had a choice between Stan Lee and Adam West. Who do I go to? To get my wow. picture taken with, potato, potato. with, well, for me, like I mean, as much as I love, you know, the '60s Batman TV series, as much as I love Adam West, it was Stanley because I'm 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 a comic guy, I'm a Marvel guy, you know, I've always been more, I've always my comic book tendencies always leaned more towards Marvel than they did DC. Me too. And and I I just had to meet him. Unfortunately, as it turns out, I could have met Stanley like two years later at the Calgary Comic Expo, and I never got a chance to meet Adam West because he passed away before Stan. So you know, but I still stand by my choice. Like yeah, you know, because I mean that's the only one to make. Well, I mean at the time too, like Adam West was in his late seventies and oh, and Stan was in his in his late eighties. Yeah, do the math. So, yeah, so it's like, who's going to be around longer? Like, I, you know, and I figured Adam would outlive Stan, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Not the way he started um, in the 60s, man. Yeah, and it's, well, it's like the Carrie Fisher thing. Like, I, I had a chance to meet her, but the lineup was just so immense. I was like, I'll catch her next time. And then she died, like, three months later. You see? You know, you it, it, it sucks. You jinxed her. I, I, I might have jinxed her. But, yeah, yeah Lex Luthor is filling his autograph book for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. well, well, they, they, these were photo ops. Like, I, if if I have a chance to get my picture taken versus getting an autograph with somebody, I I'll go for the picture every time. As well, um, you should. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. like so I I stood in line, got my picture with Stan, my my son and I, and you know because it, the the lineup was so huge and there were so many people, it was like in and out, in and out. Like you you didn't even see Stan until like. Five oh, seconds right. before your picture, right? My God, I see, yeah. I see the Simpsons doing a, 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 a takeoff on this, eh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like he's behind a curtain, right? So you get up to this line so you can finally, finally see him just as the person ahead of you is getting his picture taken. Then they're being ushered away, and then you get ushered in. Wow. You get, like, maybe ten seconds with the guy, and you get your picture taken. So the only thing I could do is, like, I have to say something because he is one of my real-life heroes. Like, he... You know, like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, as it turned out to be for me. Um, so as they're ushering us out, I turned to Stan and I said, "Thanks for everything, Stan." And that's all I said. And I left. He didn't say anything in return because you know he was you know probably busy. You know, he hopped up had, on calls or anything. No, no, he was just he was just sitting there, like and. 
You see, Stan, has, his, he's got that larger-than-life attitude. Like, even when you see him in interviews and stuff, yeah. he's always, uh, you know, he's got that voice. And yeah. he's got that, you know, like the gestures, and he's doing, you know, he's like a human caricature. Yeah. But when you yeah. see him in real life, like when I saw him because he was sitting in a chair, he looked so tiny, so tiny and so old. You know, like he, he, he looked like my grandpa did just before he passed away. You know, like he was just... You know, like the like the the myth, like you 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 would think he'd be jumping off the walls and 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 all that kind of stuff, and and sometimes I guess he is like that. Like you just missed but, it, right? But like yeah, he, for he me, nap time. Yeah, for me, he like he yeah, it was like they just woke him up from a nap. Oh, you know, which was yeah. fine. It was still it was still awesome to be in his presence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I said, like for me, like just ha- having that opportunity to say thank you for everything, Stan. To me, that meant everything. Yeah, that's you know, but uh, my friend Jeff, he met him the two years later at the 2014 Expo, um, and I guess he was like a little bit more lively then. And uh, maybe they after, him up or something. Well, I think I, I well I but think what I rum in his cola. I think, well, <laughs> I think what the difference was is because my friend Jeff had like the super pass or whatever. So he got to be first oh. in line in all the lines. And I'm the <laughs> poor boy at the back of the line. See, so by, I, I agree so with by, Mark. That's, that's why, you know, communism failed super passes. That's why I want communism. <laughs> yeah. Quality in convention. Yeah. So like by the time I got to Stan, he had already been sitting there for probably three or four hours. Right. So the poor guy was tired. He's 89 years old. But it's super but my, passers. But my friend, uh, you know, who had the super pass got, he was like, I don't know, fifth person or whatever, 20th person in line oh. to get his picture with Stan. And, and Stan looked at him and said, good job, kid. Oh, and, Why? Because he had and, a super pass or he couldn't draw feet? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Jeff definitely lucked out. He got he got the, the thing, for, you know, acknowledgement from Stan. But Well, that's rare. I want to get Eric in on this. Eric, as a creator, as a comic book artist, what kind of influence does Stan have on you? Uh, well, funny story about that, actually. Stan uh, helped me get into comics. You see, uh, back when I was uh, 9 or 10 years old, I won a drawing contest for a picture of a superhero with, you know, the capes and the muscles and the tights. But it was just kind of based on my general, you know, pop culture osmosis of what a superhero should be like, you know, perception gained by cereal boxes and the sides of uh, macaroni and cheese, stuff like that. So you know, I went about the way of learning more about these superheroes the way that I had learned about anything else. I walked to the public library and, you know, found uh, in a shelf that didn't have any lights over it, a dog-eared reprint of Fantastic Four number four, the first appearance of Doctor Doom. And it was nice. just first love. And, and, and that's funny because the, the, the very first comic book that I ever saw in the library, in a real library, was um, um, The Origin of Marvel Comics by Stan Lee. And it had all the very first heroes, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, um, um, I believe Iron Man's in that one, um, I think Doctor Strange. Um, but it, it was the, for the longest time, and then it was bringing the bad guys. It was the longest time. Those were the only two kind of graphic novels you could get, and they were very dog-eared because they had been taken out a thousand, like every Asterix and Tantan were taken out a thousand times because that was all we had. But now there's whole sections of graphic novels uh, yeah. because of, of Stan. Thanks to uh, that issue, I, you know, was just 
my eyes were feasting upon the sensational signature style, you know, words of wonder sizzle spectacularly with polysyllabic prose. That means long words for you guys who only read DC comics. That's not coming. You wrote that. You wrote that like three days ago. You, yeah. You've been working on that one for for a week. That's yeah, not off the top of your head. I'm sorry. Well, no, yeah. that's one of the things that yeah, made. Def- Marvel different from the other comic books was that you always knew who it was who was putting these comics out. They made no yeah, mystery about it. It's not just... And when people wrote to Marvel Comics, they didn't write Dear Editor or, or, or you know, Dear dear Writer. They wrote, Hey, Stan. You know, right. Because they all knew. Yeah, Stan made sure everyone much, knew. There was very much a house style and you, you felt like part of the gang, you know? Right. Well, yeah. and and Stan went out of his way to to say that, like he, um, I forget which comic book was it, it was in, but it was in several where he said, "Hey, listeners or readers or whatever, uh, Stan and Jack read every letter, so mm-hmm. keep sending them in because we're going to read them and we'll put and we'll publish them." And he gave, and he gave them little nicknames too, like Jazzy Johnny Romito. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, he gave them them names too. So he tried to make them into personalities. And those Jack King could, Kirby, that's right. Those who could handle that were very good good at that. And the ones who didn't were okay with that too. But Stan included everybody. It was never the, the Stan Lee show. But you know, he never like you know took credit for things that were not. Um, you know his right. I mean, he he owned his bullshit, right? He owned it with his crap when he knew it was crap. And and when the when the comic book uh, guy and and in Simpsons, you know, this could have came from the most hackneyed plot of come up with Stanley or something like that. But he he makes reference to Stanley's plotting, um, and it's very funny because you know Stan could be a little um, over the top, but that's what made him great. Right. He emoted so grandiosely, you know, right. with all that thought- added alliterative appeal. <laughs> Yes, a lot of the names of the characters have, like Peter Parker, Betty Brandt. He used the first and last names. It's probably, you know, it's easier that way. But nevertheless, Marvel was in- invented by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And I mean, yeah. I think most people acknowledge Kirby's and Steve Ditko and all of the others, their contribution. They had an, they had an ability to support Stan's imagination. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, their own imagination. Uh, uh, he was able to make their stuff better, I think. Well, I think a lot of people don't uh, don't realize um, or give credit to Martin Goodman. Um, Martin Goodman was the magazine publisher who yeah. owned Timely Comics, and he was actually uh, Stan's uh, mother's cousin-in-law. So oh, it was actually this guy. Yeah. yeah. So it was actually Martin Goodman that brought Stan into the into the fold because. Stan's mom actually talked to her cousin, who's the wife of, of Martin Goodman, and said, you know, like, Stan's struggling. He needs, he, he needs guidance. There, there, there's a depression on this young man needs a job. That's right. Well, he, and he was only 17. But, and he, uh, and his he wanted first job to be a was, writer, right? Yeah, but his first job was um, filling, filling the ink pots. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So he was, he was brought into the office, and he was made the, the gopher. Uh, in the office, you know, so he would, yeah, fill the ink yeah. pots. He would sharpen pencils. He would bring paper. He would uh, go fetch their the lunches, the or, you know, whatever, whatever they needed. Um, and the, and the whole reason he got that far was because of uh, Martin Goodman, because Goodman said, yeah, I'll give him a job, sure. Hope he got a finder's fee for that. Yeah, and then I think he was 19 when he was. Uh, well, first 
he filled in for Captain America because they were behind on a deadline, and, and so they brought, brought Stan in to do some writing, and it turned out he was really good at it. And eventually, I think when he was 19 when he was made editor-in-chief, um, I believe, because what had happened was... Really young. Well, I, th- I there think there like was... any outbreak in the office or something? And... No, what had happened was uh, World War II was was happening, or, and America hadn't yet gone into the war, but they were getting news back about what was going on in Europe, what was going on in Poland. So a lot of the staff, including Jack Kirby, signed up and joined the army, and they left. So Stan was kind of like left to, you know, he had to step up and become the editor and and but work he was with. In the war too, wasn't he? He did after. Uh, so after the uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Stan and pretty much everyone else signed up. Um, but he still wrote for Timely Comics, even though he was in the Army. He would just mail his scripts in. There's so a famous, you famous have, picture so, of Stan at his desk, wearing his uniform, writing. Yeah, so yeah. So if you actually look at the credits in some of those comic books, uh, he is listed as Private Stan Lee. But then, yeah, he came back from the war and, and uh, came back as editor, and then some. it was some hard times for, for Stan and, and the comic book industry. Um, yeah, but he always believed, he always believed in, in that world, and he believed in what he was what he was doing, and he tried his best to get everyone else to believe it. And hope, and thankfully, uh, the the medium survived long enough for the next generation to become creators of the the newest medium. I, I I'm always I'm always amazed when they were talking years and years ago. I saw this interview. I think it was Entertainment Tonight, and it was Stanley and the idiot James Cameron. Um, sitting talking about making Spider-Man with Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. and what their, um, Nicky Cox um, oh, yeah. as Mary Jane Watson. And, and he had a, a piece of art, and that's why Stan was there. He had a piece of art that was drawn with DiCaprio's face and her and half the Spider-Man face and half the mask. And, and it was absolutely amazing. And they were the, the buzz that they were able to create just with that one image. And and that's this one idea, and of course it all fizzled like crap because uh, Cameron doesn't have any any balls, and he didn't think. Well, his excuses, the uh, technology wasn't uh, there to make it appear that Spider-Man was swinging on his webs and stuff. So it took until uh, Sam Raimi came along uh, that the technology was uh, acceptable to create that. And of course we can all agree the Spider-Man too. Uh, aside from Infinity War and Black Panther and things, but in, of the early ones is really the high point of what they were able to do in the movies with uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Man and the effects and everything. And that's, you know, Stan's vision survived long enough to be seen as an, and a movie. And, and I was lucky enough to be in a theater standing and cheering when, when at the end of the first one and Tobey Maguire is walking away, you know, I learned, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And any kid that understands what that means and gets the meaning of that, is is a lucky kid indeed to read that that comic book, uh, yeah. the, the origin of Spider-Man, uh, Amazing uh, Fantasy, fourteen, fifteen, fourteen. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing. It's 15. like with Stan, is like you not only got his entertaining stories, but he also slipped in his wisdom in the in the uh, in the scripts uh, as as be- the best writers do. And, right. And that in of course is the and, and that's become one of the big. I mean, you know, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. With great power comes great responsibility. That's going to be a quote. You know, the same way that quotes from Marcus Aurelius are, are still around today. That's yeah, that's, amazing. That's, yeah, that's not a line of dialogue in the comic. It's in one of the caption boxes. Exactly. So. exactly. Yep. But that, he's explaining what he learned. And, and, and we all get that point, right? 
We've, we, that's a beautiful way to sum up that point. Definitely, Stan, the reason why we have comic book movies nowadays is definitely, you know, uh, Stan gets a lot of the credit. But I think someone that also should get some of that credit is his wife, Joni. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because the, as the story goes, because, I mean, when I say times were bad, you know, after the war for comic books, they were really bad. I mean, there oh. was the Wortham trials. I mean, and that um, they brought it on themselves, but it was yeah. it, it hit with oh, yeah, a force that they knew yeah. their comics for a generation. Oh yeah, like uh, EC Comics takes a lot of the blame because they made a lot of really bad and the needle in the really, eye cover. Yeah, a lot. You know, a lot of bad choices, and the comics industry was hit hard. And yeah, uh, you know, following that, like I remember one time Stan in an interview saying that uh, this guy was like. He was at a party somewhere, and this guy kept asking me, so what do you do for a living? And Stan said, well, I'm a writer. And then he'd, like, walk away from the guy, and the guy would follow him and say, well, what are you writing? Uh, I write stories. And then he'd walk away, and the guy would follow him. And, well, what kind of stories? Where are you published? And he'd say, well, I write comic books. And the guy would walk away from him because <laughs> it was it was considered, like, a terrible field. Like, people... Uh, arranged like there was bonfires where they would burn comic yeah, books because, yeah, it, it, you know, comic books, according to Frederick Wortham, you know, uh, one of the greatest quacks of the 20th century, uh, <laughs> comic books were responsible for juvenile delinquency. Oh, and also for yeah. homosexuality. And yes, absolutely. Batman, Batman and grooming, Robin. Batman and Robin, the grooming, sitting on the... the uh, the, the the gun uh, barrels of uh, of uh, battleship, so that's very suggestive. I think Wortham yep. saw what he wanted to see in those ink blots. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, 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 had, he, had he was a, he was a crack. Yeah. Well, he had other issues, I think, too. You know, at least at least Marston, who invented Wonder Woman, was out front with his perversions, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, he was the yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I like well, well okay, Mar- 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 Marston, 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 who, who created Wonder right. Woman, of course, Jim. You know, uh, Marston, he was a quack, but he was a fabulous quack. Yeah, exactly. Wor- yeah. Wortham was just ugly. Exactly. Yeah, Wortham, he was saying comics, they're bringing crime, they're bringing sexual deviancy, and then he went on about needing to build a wall to keep us safe from them. I don't know what was up with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank God Wortham wasn't, isn't alive now. Otherwise, Donald Trump would probably appoint him to his cabinet. Oh, yeah, well, if he um, thought he had, but, you know, if he thought it would get him anywhere, exactly, appoint him to his cabinet. That's right. Yeah. But, I mean, everything else. So yeah, so Stan he 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 survived all that. He he and towards the end of the fifties, early sixties, like he was ready to quit, uh, you know, because he was doing like western comics and monster comics and romance comics, and and it wasn't what he wanted to do. So he actually went to his wife and said like, I'm I'm quitting, I'm I'm done. And she's like, Well, before you do, why don't you just do what you want to do? Do do a story that, you know, that you've always wanted to do. Like if they fire you, then then you're moving on anyway. Um, so, uh, Martin Goodman had had a golf game or something with the, the publisher of DC comics. And he was talking about, uh, the justice league that, that they brought all their superheroes together into this team and it was selling, you know, gangbusters and, and it was making so much money. So Martin Goodman basically told Stan, I want you to rip off the justice league. So Stan, after he had talked to Joan decided, well, I'm going to do what I'll do a team book, but I'm doing it. What I, the way I want to do it. So he talked to Jack Kirby, and they created the Fantastic Four. See, and people always forget that, uh, or they always they never remember, and I think this is key to coming up with a great Fantastic Four movie and script, is that Fantastic Four is basically the, the ultimate evolution of the monster comics that him and Jack Kirby were doing first at Atlas, and then mm-hmm. uh, Timely, then at Atlas, then at Marvel, all those great old stories where they'd come up with a name like 
Fin Fang Foom, or, yep. or of course, Goom, my favorite, <laughs> Sun Gugam, um, <laughs> or what, you know, there's so many of them. Of course, Groot, there's the most famous one mm-hmm. of all. Uh, and and the, the Groot, just come up with a name, Stan would draw, uh, draw oh, that sounds like a treat, so I'm going to draw that. <laughs> and they got away with that for years, and it's golden. That stuff that I have in my comic book collection is probably amongst my favorite stuff. <laughs> and they, you've got to understand, the Fantastic Four is a monster comic. It, they're a family of monsters. But they are monsters, and and you got they got to play up the angle that Reed Richards basically took his girlfriend, his best friend, and his girlfriend's brother um, up in an unshielded ship that he knew was bullshit uh, for some re- science reason because he was losing his funding. And well, he, they they had to beat the Russians. Oh, they had yeah. to beat the Russians. So that's why my my, my Fantastic Four movie takes place in the '60s where it was written, mm-hmm. right? Like Stan and Jack. So yeah. I want that nostalgia. So. But he took his three best friends, three closest people to him, and he turned them into monsters. And there's got to be a reckoning for that. You can't just be, okay, thanks, I'm invisible now, I'm happy with that. I can be fire now, I'm happy with that. No, no. There's got to be lots of ennui and lots of problems. Until they forgive him and he forgives himself, that's where the trilogy would end for me. Um, and I would, I would, you can almost be the, the career of Stan Lee would be the, the arc of any kind of Fantastic Four movie because mm-hmm. what he created was so brilliant that it could stand up to – um, um, a- anything that was done to it, it's like Batman, it's like Superman. It was like it could, like Spider-Man survived the Clone Saga, right? Mm-hmm. And Stan and Stan promoted that piece of crap as much as he promoted the Secret Wars and and everything else that was great about Marvel. I'm so glad that he got the cameos in the movies because the cameos gave him a, it, it was his little piece, right? And and mm-hmm. he owned it, and he and he and they found imaginative ways to do it. Of course, we've all watched the the reel of all his appearances in all the movies, and it's it's great stuff, man. He it, he didn't need a lot to charm you, and 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 as a hero, as as in this world, he died as he lived. He never let me down. Other people let Stan down. He never let me down. Mm-hmm. He never became this jerk. I've never seen him yell at somebody. I've never seen him be impatient with anybody. I compared him on at the Cave of Cool to being a lot like Mr. Rogers. He's kind of like the next step. After you're done learning from Mr. Rogers, then you go and learn from Stan Lee. And of course, that can last your whole life. But that kind of is enough as a, as a, up to like, by the time you're 10 or 12, that should be enough to make you a decent person in this world. Um, not a lot of serial killers can list Stan Lee and... and and Mr. Rogers as your, you know, inspirations. Yeah, speaking of Stan Lee's cameos, do we want to go around and discuss uh, which has been our favorite? I think that uh, the one that uh, I most admire, or at least think sums up his career the most, is the one from Spider-Man 3, where, you know, he's actually yeah. interacting with Tobey Maguire and says his classic catchphrase, You know, I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. Right, and they were talking about Spider-Man at the time. Yeah, that that's that's, that's the perfect combination of of you know it, it's it's breaking the third wall, but it's at the same time it's 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 part of the movie, and and yeah, that's that, that, that's right. one of the best ones. My favorite one is the one from uh, the I can't remember which Captain America it was when he well, he's the security guard and he sees the oh, Captain America stole the uniform and he's like, I am so fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he could just do it, right? He could do, I remember in that voice, too, the Hulk cartoon in the 80s. I very much remember that. Oh, um, he was the narrator, right? He was the narrator, yeah. And the Spider-Man cartoons, he, he narrated, too. Um, I just, you know, you just think of him, and 
he's not going to be around anymore. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing will come from him again. And yeah, I'm not saying I... they're all gems, you know. I mean that when when he reimagined Batman, it was just a bat creature. I mean, come on, you know, that's as bad as Layfield reimagining Spider-Man with guns <laughs> and calling it dead. But... But yeah, I remember uh, kind of quaking in my boots uh, around 2017, realizing, huh, in uh, Doctor Strange, Stan's cameo, he was sitting down, Guardians of the Galaxy, he's sitting down, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, he's sitting down, he's not moving around a lot, not having a whole lot of energy. Yeah, well, they they did say they had to record, they had to to film his uh, cameos ahead of time, just, just in case. Yeah, well, they there was did a little... for Infinity War, yeah, for the next Yeah, one. they did a little featurette about that on the uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Blu-ray, where apparently they had filmed six different uh, potential cameos for Stan and just had to, uh, you know, blue screen him into whatever they were doing because he couldn't make it to where all, all of these movies were filming. And it is kind of obvious in retrospect when he's not directly interacting with uh, – yeah. Any of the characters. Now he like, did. He did have a the cameo in the in the Venom movie right near the end, which was a nice one. And yeah. apparently he's got two more coming up. One of them's Into the Spider Verse, which is I'm not sure when yeah. that's coming up. And and, uh, and there's another animated one. He's in. Yeah. Well, he was in Ralph. Teen Titans Go. He was in Teen Titans Go as kind of a more of a maniac. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. But he's in that one. I know it's a DC movie, but I just love cameos. Uh, yeah. Ralph wrecks the internet. Of course, he's he's in that. Oh yeah, because they they've got to have every Marvel prop, every Disney owned property in that one. But and they and they ruined Wrecked Ralph. They ruined by expo- by making the trailer showing the best part. They should yeah. not even have told us about the Disney princesses all hanging together. That yeah, was, but you that, know that's gonna get butts in seats. So yeah, but I know, but I I I'm, I feel bad about it. They ruined it for me. It's bad. Disney Disney, Disney already Ralph owns my butt for that trailer. <laughs> yeah. It's just, Record Ralph's hard enough to like as it is, you know? But Stan Lee, getting back to Stan Lee. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, please. His, and that's the thing about his his comic books. I mean, as Chris was saying, I mean, comic books went through a really hard time. But, I mean, this mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, I mean, look around. I mean, this is a golden age. This Every movie that comes out, every blockbuster movie, almost every one of them is is comic book movie and, and so many of them are Marvel comic properties and, and Stan has you know had a hand in that so his influence yep. is huge oh, oh it's it's phenomenal I mean if somebody charted it out it would just it, it would blow your mind pop culturally all the connections you could make to him and yeah. to everything that is solid and great that that kids today are growing up with that they have no idea didn't ex- like it, uh, two generations earlier did not exist and somebody came up with it <laughs> And was allowed the time to make it grow because it wasn't a big deal that it that it was around. You know what I mean? Like it, it got its chance to be popular and good before someone could come along and ruin it. Like in the 70s, all the problems they had with with uh, paying artists and the bankruptcy and Jim Shooter. Just like you could just chart all of this. Uh, and Stan was the steady thing that kept the whole thing, the whole train on the track. The guys making the movies, they remember Stan as as, as from their very young days. And his enthusiasm. So they, they, it, it infected them in such a way that when they made these movies, they were able to inspire the people in them. I think of James Gunn. I think of um, Kevin Feige. I think of guys like that that are able to hold these giant, massive projects together. And some of it's got to come from love of the, the material and heart and that I can't screw this up because if, if I upset or if I make Stan Lee look bad, I look bad. I, I don't have to fix what Stan created, right? It's all there. You don't have to redo it. It's like the wheel in fire, 
right? <laughs> go, go invent something new because those two were okay, right? We, we got the handle on that. And that's what Stanley was and you can't just deny it. And it's funny that the, on one paper, the headline had Spike Lee died. And I'm just shaking my head and I'm going, is there no one in their goddamn newsroom reading the front page and it saying, is, put the guy's name on it. Oh my God, he changed the that, world. That has been driving me nuts um, since, since he passed, is people making those mistakes. Oh, the easy um, ones. Like like I I posted on Facebook about CTV National News. How yes. they how they credit him as being the creator of Superman? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I literally jumped off the couch and and I was like, "What? What the f?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but thankfully, on the rebroadcast, they did change it because because I, I somebody actually, probably because lost they it. didn't want to be compared to the uh, source of all evil Fox News. <laughs> you think that you know the the, the guy's ninety five? You think they'd have one of these in the can, right? That that some that some young intern's been working on. I mean, that would be the dream. I say, I want to do the Stanley obituary film because I'll get it right. You know, can I have that project, please? So when he dies, I got it ready to go. Favorite Marvel character begins and ends with Spider-Man. Genius idea, a teen superhero in a book that was dying anyway. Rolled the dice and succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. The insecurity of Peter Parker, the bad shit that happens to him. Um, the, the, one of the greatest stories I ever remember is definitely Stanley inspired, where uh, the Beyonder turns an entire, and he was a, it was an omnipotent being that was in the Secret Wars, but uh, it, that kind of made the Secret Wars um, uh, happen. But, but he turned an entire uh, uh, um, office building into gold. And so it, of course, threw off the world's economy with all this extra gold around, right? So they bury it in, in Mariana's Trench. But, of course, everybody from the kingpin to, to all these villains take their cut, right? And Spider-Man sees this happening, and he loses his freaking mind. And he grabs this just a, a, a notebook, and it's gold-plated. It could solve his money problems for the next 10 years, right? And he takes it as the military are cutting up this thing, and but he can't sell it. He can't use it for himself, right? Because if he would have used that for himself, uh, I mean, everything Stan had taught everybody would have been for naught. But it doesn't happen. It happens just the way you think it will. Of course, he leaves it in a, you know, an orphanage's baby, you know, where they leave babies, right? <laughs> he leaves it there um, and doesn't, doesn't enrich himself, even though everyone around him is doing so. Um, and that's what Stan was. That, that's a kind of honorable thing. And it, it, that's what he brings to the movies. That's what everybody uh, – The I think the actors got a little bit of that when they made the movies. I think that's why we're able to have four or five Avengers movies because the actors – you don't hear them fighting. Guardians of the Galaxy, they, they're coming out and speaking for the director, all because of that, that attitude that all starts with Stanley. Mm-hmm. And, all, and it permeates all of this that we love and enjoy in this golden age. Mm-hmm. And we will not see his like ever again, my friends. That is true. Uh, Eric, Chris, favorite characters? Uh, For me, me, my uh, favorite Marvel hero that Stan Lee created easily has to be uh, Ben Grimm, the thing from the Fantastic Four. It's just, it's one of the peaks of uh, what made Marvel so unique, the monster man with the heart of a human, with all the feels and foibles, you know. Yeah, and you never got that from a Superman. I mean, he didn't get... Good-looking 24-7. Yeah, exactly. Chris, how about you? Um, well, for me, like honestly, if if you're talking Marvel characters, right now at this very moment, because my my answers changed over the years. Uh, he's a character that wasn't created by Stanley, but was definitely written by Stanley. He was he was actually created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, oh. and that is Captain America. 
which, ironically, I'm Canadian. <laughs> but but I, I love what Captain America stands for. I love, you know, truth, justice. Um, and punching you know, Hitler he, in the face. Yeah, well, aside from that, I mean, he's got good morals. I mean, I think we need more Captain Americas out there now, especially <laughs> now in the era of Trump and... Right. And all, all the you know everyday shootings that seem to be happening all the time now. Like it's, we need we need a hero like Cap. It's like and, that line in Aquaman. There's something bigger than a king. It's a hero, right? Yeah. And we need a hero. And I think. Do you think Stanley thought of himself more as a Captain America, or thought of himself more as Spider-Man, or a little of both? Because Cap seems to embody everything that you know he wanted to be. Yeah. Well, I. I would say a little of both, you know, like he definitely loves, you know, he's definitely the, got the youthfulness and the energy of a Spider-Man, but he believes in, you know, truth and justice and being good and doing good deeds. And so, and I mean, Spider-Man did that too, but right. nobody exemplifies that more than Captain America, I don't right. think. Right. Um, and yeah, like definitely Stan had a, had a, a hand in, in that. Like I said, he didn't create the character, but he definitely put his stamp on that character for many years. And I and I just love Chris Evans as Captain America. Like he's yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he just did a classy job all the way around. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's definitely one of those guys that I would love to meet at a convention. Because um, he's because he does seem like a genuinely nice guy, and I and a, and a perfect casting choice. But yeah, my answer as of right now at this moment is Captain America. Yeah, an odd choice for a Canadian. And again, you know, we we're <laughs> we are uh, fulfilling the CanCon regulations by being seventy five percent Canadian. Have to do it. With, with Eric being the odd, the odd American out, although yeah, I I do feel honored to be the first American to set foot in the Cave of Cool, even if I do feel a little Lord. exposed, since your security moose politely asked me to surrender all of my firearms before hey, entering. Hey, buddy, buddy, that you saw the sign. I mean, if the moose has to come over and talk to you, I mean, that's one step from me having to come down and talk to you. And if I have to come down and talk to you, that's you're not getting past the atrium. But if I don't have my Thursday gun, how will I, I know what day of the week it is? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that hillbilly bullshit. So That's what it is. M Michael, did you say who your favorite character was? Um, actually, I'm I'm a Daredevil guy. I love Daredevil. I always uh, did. Nice. Uh, not just because of you know Frank Miller and, and even before that, he was a character who who had a disability and turned it you know ended up mm -hmm. turning it into a, his greatest strength. So you know what for me that was idea, that was a, eh? an aspect of Stan's storytelling. And that's the thing about Stan, with the way that I see the heroes. They didn't just get dressed up in fancy underwear and beat the crap out of other people. They had lives. They had uh, angst, ennui, as 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 Cal would say. Um, and they were um, they were real people, and they uh, they dealt with things the way real people do. And that that made them gave them an extra dimension that uh, that I think is probably the reason why they're enduring today. Yeah. yeah, and they all dealt with loss, right? And it's funny that when you think of all the, the, the retcons or how, how uh, heroes can come back from the dead, um, there was always two like kind of unwritten rules of comic books that there were two characters that could never come back from the dead because it, it affected the main character's whole mythology. First was Uncle Ben, of course, mm -hmm. because there is no Spider-Man unless his uncle is died. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I posted at the Cave of Cool this uh, little comic story where he's talking to the littlest uh, um, Franklin Storm after Johnny Storm has supposedly died, mm -hmm. and 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 the little guy's saying, "Well, maybe I could have done something to prevent it." And Spider-Man says, "Can I tell you something? I know I could have prevented my uncle's death." 
You know, I know it. Mm-hmm. I could have done it, and I didn't. And that hangs over him, mm-hmm. and it never goes away. And anybody who writes Spider-Man has to always remember that, so you can never bring him back. Same with Cap, uh, with Bucky, the death of Bucky. Yeah. Um, Except they brought Bucky back. <laughs> well, but they brought him back in such a brilliant way. I mean, mm-hmm. That's they, true. You, you have to. I can't think of a way you can bring Uncle Ben back, but to bring mm-hmm. Bucky back as the Winter Soldier was was uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Someone solved that puzzle. Um, and and, and, I think and, and Gwen Stacy was Gwen Stacy was one for a while, but then you know. Right, right. That's right. They brought, yeah, they tried to bring her back, but she was a clone. But and yeah, stuff. Un- Uncle Ben. The fact that, pe- the fact that people could die in a, in a Spider-Man comic, the fact that he had to always worry about his identity because of that's Aunt May, man. She got what kind of disease and sickness she keep getting, right? Where he's got to fight and almost die to say to get a a potion to her, and the fact that that goofy idea. Stan turns into one of the greatest comic book moments. You know, when Spider-Man's buried under all that rubble, what's his name, Drew it, um, Steve Zetko. And as the boxes get bigger and bigger, Spider-Man pushes harder and harder to get the rubble off him, and finally he's, he's successful, and he's ready to give up and die. But somebody had to write the words that went into that little space, those little, those little boxes as they're getting bigger and bigger, as it is as Spider-Man's talking to himself. And that kind of Stan's gets, level of writing gets you so involved it never alienates you from the story. You want to be in that. You're in that story while it's happening. And I always think of that example because it's it's so iconic and it just says everything about his writing style. And the fact that he went with Thor and the the Norse mythology, pretty much from, he grabbed a book of mythology and went through and 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 named the hammer what it should be. I thought it was Magilnor for forever until I realized the pronunciation was Molnir, because you know. Uh, but the fact that I couldn't pronounce a word or or even, you know, really look it up because it it was real. Mm. You know, I didn't realize it was real for so, how long. That Loki was, there's really stories about Loki in mythology. All, all the characters from the Thor, oh, yeah, Thor exactly. comics are all, they all have, uh, you know, well, myth, not real world, myth, mythological but, but, world. Yeah. But their uh, origins analog. are very solid. The names, the relationships, the worlds, the mm-hmm. nine realms, the tree of life, the Odin, the Odin sleeve, all that Ragnarok. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all lifted, but you, you wouldn't, you don't care. Because it's lifted so well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thinking about it, Stan really had his finger on the counterculture in a way that uh, the media of the time certainly didn't by making his heroes uh, freaks, weirdos, and uh, people on the outside. I mean, I get everything I, I learned about racism comes from X-Men comics. Uh, that, that message is very clear. And, and as you're a kid and you, you hear this and you're taught these kind of things, but when it's reinforced every month when you're reading those books, when you realize today that you're – like I mentioned before, that I, I look at the, the Hitler-esque and Nazi bastards that are out there, the Trumpites, and I will never be a part of that tribe because Stanley offered me a better, um, a better group to hang with and a better world vision to hang with. And, and that's something that – you can't put a price on as a human being that kind of influence that Stan took his platform and he did the best with it that he could and good on you, man. Good on you for what you gave the world and what a world desperately needs a hero and somebody who believed in heroes right up to the end. I want to thank Eric, Alan Johnson and Chris Lockhart for joining us. Glad to have been here. And where can we find these gentlemen on the line on the net? Yes. Eric, Eric, where can we find you online? You can find me at my website, ericjohnsonillustrator.com. That's Eric spelled E-R-I-K. You can see a number of the uh, recent Halloween caricatures that I had done this past October. And if you 
follow the link to my social media sites. It's the same name for all the platforms. Uh, for it. So if you go to Eric Johnson Illustrator on Instagram, you'll see the Stan Lee tribute that I recently did as well, a little caricature of uh, the man himself there. Uh, you can also hear me on a couple other podcasts. Uh, we're going to be recording our Christmas episode for the Mystery Movie Night Show, the movie podcast that is also a game where we will be talking about the secret connection between Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, Mel Gibson, and the Krampus. Chris, how are you? Where, where do we find you? You can uh, read my blog. It's at randomnerdness.blogspot.com. Uh, once again, that's randomnerdness.blogspot.com. I don't uh, blog as, as much as Cal. Cal's blog is always on the go. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing. Um, so, I don't know. I blog. I put out a post every... I try every week, but uh, sometimes I don't make it. I've done a couple this week. Uh, but, yeah, you could go there. All right. Well, thanks again, gentlemen. And uh, as, uh, as Stan Lee is fond of saying, enough said. We have, a, we have a couple of other passages to mark, one of which is William Goldman, who is a screenwriter. He wrote uh, the screenplay for Marathon Man, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance wow. Kid, uh, All the President's wow. Men. Big, huge screenwriter. Wow. He's, but he's most remembered for The Princess Bride. He wrote yeah. the novel The Princess Bride in 1973, and right. he wrote the screenplay for the movie in 1987. Which was genius, too. There's no way that anybody else could have written that, that – screenplay for that movie because no. it, you look at it on paper it's preposterous it would not work but everybody was so game and they played it the way it was written and in the end it was the glorious thing that it that it became yeah there's so, a reason why that movie is absolutely beloved absolutely now William Gold is not really a household name but he's a big talent in the industry and like I said most people know mm -hmm. it for the Princess Bride because he wrote what is probably one of the most quoted lines in the history of movies hello my name is Inigo Montoya And, 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 you know, they don't probably don't even know that William Goldman wrote it. Anyway, he was 87. He died uh, just shortly after Stanley did. So, you know, big passage. See, that's real talent. Yeah. That, there's an example of somebody who was out there and, and tried to get his name attached to everything related to it so that he, he could add his fame to it, right, mm -hmm. and make it better. Everything Stan attached his name to got attention. Anything come related got attention. And then you got a guy like William Goldman who also – had a inf huge influence on pop culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, The Princess Bride is on everybody's top 10, if not no, top 20, if not top 10 list, mm -hmm. if you're really put one together. When people came out of the theater after that, everyone had a smile on their face. Yeah. Nobody watches The Princess Bride for the first time and hates it, right? <laughs> it's just impossible to dislike that movie. It, it's a know? wonderful movie. And actually, the book was, you know, it's funny. My daughter and I read the book together when she was very young. And we thought this would make an excellent movie. And of course, a lucky kid. A couple of years later. I think, I think about that a lot. The book has a lot of the elements of the movie in it. There's, there's more to it, obviously. But, uh, but you know, the movie right. captured the book's essence. And, and it did. It was a very much a love letter to, to books and reading and, and children and, and uh, fairy tales. And the cast, casting was interesting. The cast got it. 
a lot of big name, a lot of big talent, mm-hmm. not necessarily big name, but big talent attached to this that took very small parts. Mm-hmm. And we're probably very glad they did because they also recognized the genius of what it was. Again, mm-hmm. just like, you know, Butch Cassidy, you know, no wonder that got two of the biggest stars of its time um, uh, attached to it. Yeah. I mean, that movie is curious. I yeah. love watching that movie. And William Goldman um, actually was the screenwriter who, who introduced to most people, and he introduced me, to the concept of the reversal, which is uh, a movie trope where you there's it's a reversal of expectations. You you carry on with a scene right. with certain expectations, and then at some point you you reverse it. Uh, like for instance, in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they build up this knife fight. Well, you always said that any one of us could challenge a Butch. Well, that's because I figured no one would do it. Figured wrong, Butch. You guys can't want Logan. Well, at least he's with us, Butch. You've been spending a lot of time gone. Well, that's because everything's different now. Guns or knives, Butch. It's harder now. You gotta plan more. You gotta prepare more. Guns or knives. Neither. Pick. I don't want to shoot with you, Harvey. Anything you say, Butch. Maybe there's a way to make a profit in this. Bet on Logan. I would, but who'd bet on you? Sundance. When we're done, if he's dead, you're welcome to stay. Listen, I don't mean to be a sore loser, but uh, when it's done, if I'm dead... Kill him. Love to. No, no, not yet. Not until me and Harvey get the rules straightened out. Rules? In a knife fight? No rules. Well, if there ain't gonna be any rules, let's get the fight started. Someone count one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. Ted Cassidy is the, char- is the character. He's a big guy. He's going to have oh, the knife fight yes. with Cassidy because to, for leadership of the group, they're building up this knife fight. You expect to see a big knife fight. And what happens? Butch says, well, we gotta, we got to have rules. Right. He kicks him in the nuts, drops him. and says, yeah. someone say one, two, three, go. And someone says, one, two, three, go. And boom, he hits him again. Yeah. Down he goes. And it was a complete <laughs> reversal of what you were expecting. That concept of the reversal is something that he introduced to, to me and to writers in his book, Adventures in the Screen Trade. Uh, and writers right. like Shane Black... Screenwriters like Shane Black have been using that ever since. I don't know, wow. screenwriters. And fact, and frank, and in fact, frankly, it saves a lot on on stunt work. It saves a lot on on for the effect you get, like the impact of it. Mm-hmm. It's very effective, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a very effective way to 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 establish the character's dominance. So, like he's smarter, right? Yeah. He, he's smarter, and he'll he'll he'll, he'll kick someone bigger in the nuts, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it means he doesn't have to take a knife to the or shift to the, the the side or the stomach or whatever, right? Yeah. He'll do that, and that's that makes the character immensely more interesting, right? And and more, um, I want to see what happens now. Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. If, if, you, if you'll do that, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. But yeah. He's, and it's he's, too bad he's, that, uh, that, that he's gone. But yeah, he, the legacy you leave behind. Yeah. Maybe that's what's really important. It could, yeah, yeah. He's left quite a legacy. I mean, you, you know, uh, Marathon Man. I mean, one of the most effective thrillers of the oh, 1970s. I mean, that scene where Dustin oh, Hoffman is that. getting uh, tortured by the Nazi dentist, mm. Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm. People squirm when they mm. see that. Who doesn't? Yeah, I mean, if you can make you know fiction, you, you can make people react Think like that Nazi in an audience. Dentist. Yeah, put those words together, Nazi dentist. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you actually do make that terrifying. Yeah. right? it doesn't need it be any more. Terrifying, but he made it more terrifying than yeah. it needed to be, right? Yeah. You say Nazi dentist, I think of that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll so, and and there's something, that, going, you know, it, it's in the pop culture zeitgeist now, and that's he's the guy who mm-hmm. put it there. It, Nazi dentist should not be a good thing in our culture. It shouldn't be. Well, 
um, you know, when you know the old thing about when when he was saying "as you wish," what he really meant was "I love you." I mean, there's a touching <laughs> thing to put in, you know, and the, 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 all the stuff with the Princess Bride, you know. You know. Oh, and the sword fight and the, the the discussions they have, and and uh, Andre the Giant, and Andre the Jessic, Giant, you know, no one could have played. And the rhyme, anybody wanting a peanut? No, nobody could. Yeah. And the, the stories I hear of him inviting people over to these big dinners, and he'd show the movie, and he'd watch it, and they'd watch him watching it, and just to know that. He brought joy to so many people, yeah. Because that was he was almost in real life, right? And there was like, there's a reversal was, right there. I mean, you know, Andre the Giant was yes. a, he was a wrestler. Yes. He's a big scary guy. He beats up people. But Goldman, right. you know, put him in this movie, and and you know, or Rob Reiner and Gold, Goldman put him in this movie, and and that's how people remember him as the soft-hearted giant, Fezzik. The giant, rather than you know. And how, and how brilliant is this conversation with with uh, Carrie Elway's? What he said, you know. Then what? Well, what Carrie Elway said. Well, what happens then? Well, then we fight as God intended, right? Yeah. Well, that's not fair. It's not my fault. I'm the biggest and the strongest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not my fault. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm a sportsman, right? I'm a sportsman. I'm not yeah. a. I'm not a killer. You know, my way is not very sportsman-like, right? <laughs> Smash him with the rock. You know, yeah. he's got. That just the way he delivers it, and the way it's a—it's absolute genius. And both yeah. to win, you want them both to win in both battles, right? Exactly. And, and even just, even Inigo Montoya, when they have the fight, when they said, you know, they switch to the left hand real. to the right hand, you know, right. you want both of them to win because right. you like them both so much. That's right. And who doesn't remember Wallace Shawn as the uh, as the mastermind? Oh. The, you, know. He's, you can't like that voice. It's you just can't. You hear it, and you take what movie do you remember? He's been in so many things. Yeah. He's been in Toy Story. Right? And if people don't Major. know Wallace Shawn, if people don't know Wallace Shawn, all you have to do is say, inconceivable. And they say, oh, I know that guy. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, I know who right. you're talking right. about. How many baby pictures have I seen where the baby says inconceivable? It's captioned <laughs> that way. And it's got a picture of Wallace Shawn next to it, right? Yeah. Because all babies look like him, right? <laughs> all babies, that's, that's the first word they say, inconceivable, because they all look like that. <laughs> so it, how do you inspire that kind of performance? You know, mm-hmm. Someone had to write it, right? Yeah. Give lots of credit to the actor, director, and everybody else, and it's a big Hollywood production. But at its heart, someone has to write those words and put that idea in somebody's head mm-hmm. that, okay, now we got to film this and we got to make it work. Yeah. And they made it work. Yeah, I could talk Princess Bride all day. I could talk that kind of creative process all day. It's genius. So that's another big loss, too. Yeah. God, the culture. How do we keep producing more idiots and less smart people? I know. Don't ask questions to which you already know the answer to. Yeah. And of course, another passage, uh, which we have to mark. Country music star Roy Clark passed away. There's a talent. Not a big fan of Roy Clark. Not a big fan of country music, but... But his his influence well, I on, don't, the, I, on the industry is un, undeniable. He was a host of Hee Haw. I'll tell for you what. I, how many years? I know. I'll tell you how I feel about it. My my father loved country and western music when it was called country and western music, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, that filled our house when when I was a kid. And so there was a lot of crap I hated, like mm-hmm. oh let uh, uh, um, uh, oh Conway Twitty can't stand that guy. Yeah. Um, he actually had an amusement park called Twitty. City, can you believe that? <laughs> and he and he and he somehow got the Tweety Bird logo image somehow, and he turned that into some kind of hillbilly Disneyland. That I, I, I'd rather go to Dollywood than to go to Tweety City, right? <laughs> and the fact that this big-haired moronic idiot—I heard so many of his songs as a kid, right? And that voice, oh, just 
can't stand it. Um, but my father loved a lot of country western music, and Roy Clark was a damn good guitarist. Could play the banjo, could play the guitar, anything with strings on it. He could he could play it and play it well. Now, he was is- considered a, a, a virtuoso and a talent, very much so. But but hee haw Saturdays afternoons after um, uh, after pizza after bowling in the afternoon pizza Roadrunner cartoons mm-hmm. and then hee haw. Well you know for, uh, and and I watched hee haw but the, you know again grew up in a place where they only had one channel so not much choice but you know <laughs> but uh, it made yeah. me laugh, man it made me laugh those stupid jokes and it those did. songs that they did in that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and I thought I'd found true love. You met another and you was gone. Yeah. And and him with Buck Owens uh-huh. and he just seemed like a, a jovial guy, a fun guy to be around. Yeah. Um and that's a that's a sad thing too. Yeah. And I did watch a few of the videos, oh, his his uh, his videos on on YouTube as much as I could stand. <laughs> but but I I will admit yeah. he, he was a very good guitar player. Just listening I've... to his technique, uh, I was I was very impressed with that. You know, not not again, not my kind of music, yeah. but but his talent was. No no, my neither my neither. But I've heard uh, so much of it that I if I have to make choices, you know, I'd rather hear his stuff than a lot of the other uh, crap of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sixties and seventies, he was solid. He was a solid talent. And he could be counted on for sales, and and he had a good voice and stuff. And and Buck Owens, you know, he was another good, you know, good guitarist. And they had the best of country music on that stupid ass show every week. Um, that's where you went if you wanted to see good country music. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Cash making stupid jokes, and and just they always looked like they had a lot of fun. Yeah. And for me, that I always have good memories about Hee Haw, just because it was it was just so goofy and stupid. And and when we came back from Europe and we had television for the first time it became part of the ritual of saturdays on the base you know <laughs> it was like that was kind of home saturday night that was a good that was a good time yeah. so he um roy clark thanks buddy that made me laugh welcome to hee-haw starring buck owens and roy clark because that's the only thing that the, the hillbilly brought to culture was a little hillbilly humor. Hillbilly humor. Oh. I know it's not. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. From hell, heart, I sympathy for hate's sake. I spit my last. Rip at thee! Oh, damn it, whale! There was this incident in, in, I think it was, it wasn't in Antarctica or was it in, in the Arctic? I don't remember, but some, there were two guys, and for some reason, they only put two guys in some research station. Was it, I never okay, understood. This was, yeah, this was a research station. It's very, one of the two. It's some remote, it's snowbound. Okay. Hellhole, right? So, so there was only Where two of them. Uh, there's only two of them. So okay. you know the place is pretty small. It's right. not like they're in the, the International Space Station or anything, right? Right. Okay. So why are they there? They're probably uh, monitoring some weather vane, right? So they're basically there for like six months with canned beans 
and sleeping in sleeping bags and um you know no tv no radio spotty internet so you know what i mean like they're they're it's kind of like with some supplies and a roof over your head yeah so they got very few books they should have a kindle with a thousand books on it but for some reason they've got very few books right. and they had to be evacuated because one guy stabbed the other guy because he ruined the ending <laughs> to the books he was reading like you're going insane with somebody in this desolate place, and that's the thing that trips you up, man. That's the thing that makes you stab him. So, like, it could have been anything else. It could have been the farts. It could have been the prank. It could have been his voice. It could have been anything, the conversation. But it was it was ruining the end of a book that that made him snap. And the first book they brought up, I I, I went. I understand. I understand why he stabbed this man because uh-huh. the book was Moby Dick. Moby Dick. And if you've ever read Moby Dick. Have you read Moby Dick? I have not read Herman Melville's have Moby, Moby Dick. I have not read Herman Melville's Moby Dick. I, I read the classics oh, illustrated version. <laughs> I saw the movie. Everyone has. I, when I was probably 14 years old, I, I was in a base school, and the history teacher talked to us all throughout the class about history, told us little stories. Then we went to English class, where the teacher basically said nothing but read and write. We read books. We wrote about the books we read. That was it. That was all the interaction we got with this guy. He picked out the books for us that we had to read. We got no choice. Uh-huh. So he pulls out this Moby Dick, right? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm thinking, oh, this could be like Mutiny on a Bounty. Great. We're on the sea again, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't mind Moby Dick. Didn't mind Treasure Island. I can deal with this, right? Uh-huh. Moby Dick. Sounds good. What are we doing? Oh, we're chasing a whale. Great. Great. That's it. Yep. Big white whale. We're going to chase it. We're going to kill it. And then we're going to tell you how they made whale oil back in the 1800s. Great. That was a big business back then. Yeah. That would be interesting to hear. No, it's not. <laughs> This Herman Melville, this maniac, wrote in such minute detail. He describes a door on a church that probably takes 10 pages. And you want to rip your brain out of your head. You want to be like like on, 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 on Chicago Med last week. You want to scratch your head so much that you reach your own skull, right, <laughs> with your scratching. Because uh-huh. that's what one of the patients did, right, because she was mental, <laughs> obviously. So <clears throat> that's Melville. He goes on for probably – 100 pages on the process of making whale oils, how they boil, what temperature you boil the oil, how you stir the freaking whale oil after you've caught these whales. And the, the, it, it's just got no point, and it goes on for like 500 pages, and I could have told it in three pages. And when I learned that it was part of the classic comic book uh, selection, it had been only after the incident. Um, and I remember I'm sitting in class, and it's quiet, and everybody's reading, and I pick, and I had the book. And I, it was a paperback, and I just went, gah, and I threw it across the room, right? <laughs> in class. I just had enough of it in class. And remember, it's quiet as hell because no one could talk if this maniac had a yeah. fit. And so I just tossed it and went, gah, I guess I can't do it anymore. I can't. What's the point, right? <laughs> and he goes, pick up your book. I go, no, I will not. I can't do it. What's the point? Please explain to me what the point is. I goes, pick up your book. And I got up going, I, I can't read another page. If you don't pick up that book, you're not going to get to see the movie. I went, there's a movie? <laughs> and I lost it. I'm like, I can't believe there's a movie. You, why are we reading this? Can't we not watch the movie? Is the movie this bad? Right? Is the movie, you know, what's, what's I, I, you know, what I'm, I'm, freaking, I'm almost having a stroke, right, uh, in this classroom. And because our school had a theater at the top of the school, right? Uh-huh. And we got to see movies like Sundowners after we read the book, right? Yeah. That was a joyous experience. I had no clue that the movie Moby Dick existed, right? <laughs> and again, 
bad enough, I had to read the book. Then I had to watch that insufferable movie <laughs> where the only interesting that happened when he nails that gold piece to the to the the the, the mast, yeah. right? And I go, okay, maybe we have something here. Maybe they'll kill each other for that piece of gold, right? But even that didn't happen. And he's walking around on this peg leg acting insane, and I, I want to toss him off the ship and make him into whale oil. And it, it's just – and, and you know, and you would know how to do it because you're in the book. Oh, that's right. I know how to fillet a whale, yeah. right? I know because Melville told me how to do it. Oh my god! Now, but the, the guy the, ruined the ending. So now this is how the you uh, ruin an ending. Of this is the movie uh, with Gregory Peck. Yes, that that won all the big awards, and it's it's yeah. fantastic. It was it was John Huston. It's on the scene, and it's yeah, it's, really it's John Huston, and Ray Bradbury wrote the screenplay for that. And, he did. Uh, and yeah, this the mem- very memorable shorts uh, scene where the Orson Welles plays the preacher in the beginning. I, and, wow! Know, he, yes, yes. Yeah. In that church with and, the yeah. door. Yeah. But oh, the only oh, thing people oh. know about Moby Dick, even if they know this, is you know they'll know. Okay, call me Ishmael. Yes. Yeah, and, the and the rest of it, open, I don't know. <laughs> And that really, that's the whole marketing genius of a maniac like Melville. No editor, you know, so you, you could write as much of this bullshit as you wanted to. And then you come up with a great opening line. And so that that's how people, dweebs like me, idiots like me, think we're getting a, a, a gift when these when these teachers give us this book to read. But it's not. It's like a punishment. Yeah. It's like a punishment for being literate. That's, but, that's the way I look at Moby Dick. Man. But Moby Dick, I mean, Moby Dick has given us the concept of the Ahab, the man who's so obsessed with this, catching this white whale that he will destroy everything around him in order to fulfill his quest. I mean, that's, a, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's an iconic yeah. trope. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, the yep. best thing that came out of Melville mm-hmm. was, was Star Trek too. But Khan, Khan quotes Ahab, you know, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I take my last breath. <gasps> yeah. Right? Exactly. For hate's sake, you know um, I mean? but even, it, it even is, it is. But to go through 400 pages to get to that <laughs> one gem of a line is just yeah. insufferable. Yeah, it's it's it's. I would stab a guy. <laughs> I would stab a guy if you were in the Arctic. Because, I, but really, I like this guy did. I really would. Then I yeah. yeah. Then I'd stab myself. Yeah. Because okay. I so now these two the now they, so these two guys in the Arctic. There's no one around. The only yep. two people on the world, and no one around. guy stabs the other. Isn't that on, humanity in a nutshell? It, it is. Because like, now what? You got beans now? What? He's not going to ruin the anything anymore. Books? I mean, come on, guys. You, you, you got on YouTube. I mean, watch something. I mean, there's. I was just. Yeah. Uh, but I again, I hear Moby Dick, and I understand. But can you imagine just ruining all the endings, like you know, of the movies too? Like imagine if he's you know, Rosebud's a sled. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, um, but I get an ice pick out of the window. That would be it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's again. This is why we have the the, the spoiler alert thing today. Because you know, people, too many people are complaining. Oh man, you ruined it for me. You know, you spoiled the. Ending. Hey God, if you don't know, if you don't know already that Moby Dick is crap, and you don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, now I read the uh, the comic. There, Bill Sankovich, uh, a Marvel comics yes. artist, he did a, a an adaptation of uh, Moby Dick, and that must have been a thankless task. But it was an amazing comic book. Yeah, again, again, thank God they make something like Cole's Notes nowadays, mm-hmm. or you can get on, on YouTube and someone explains to you in three minutes yeah. you know, what the fucking point is, right? <laughs> so you don't have to go through it. And, that, and that's really killing reading. Yeah. I mean, take that one off the classics list. Penguin, never make another copy of that Zerpel yeah. because it, get people interested in reading. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't chase them away to the sea where they hunt their own white whale to their death. I mean, big deal. 
I don't care. <laughs> I just want it to end, <laughs> right? And that would be the same thing that would be going through your mind if you were a shut-in in, in, in an Arctic research station. You, and that's you'd, Canada, you'd almost that's be, you'd, you'd almost be hoping people. you'd find a flying saucer buried in the ice at that point. Anything to <laughs> almost, relieve the, almost, yeah. the monotony of this just guy. Just a dog to talk to, right? Yeah. Just the alien dog, infected dog to talk to. That would be yeah. a, a joy. Yeah. But they're probably they're probably like, I don't know. I, I don't remember from the story if there's, they go to the Cave of Cool, everybody. The story is there. Um, I don't remember if they're Swedes or Finns, but there's some kind of, of of northern Viking type that would stabby get stabby with each other. Yeah. They're not Canadians because Canadians have learned to live with each other in these kind of cabin conditions. That's true. Yeah. In the winter, yeah. so we we tend to have a little more of a sense of humor about that kind of thing, it's a, it's and and we save our stabby moments for other other um, for our prey instead of our, our caribou. Yeah. And our polar bear and our seal hunting than we do each other. <laughs> For some reason, because yeah. we should we should be stabbing more people yeah. than uh, not less, right? Because <laughs> we're cramped in here in the winter time. Well, there should be a whole whole a plethora of stabbings. Yeah. Well, you know, we, Canada, we, but we have a lot. The thing is, we have we have we're we're blessed with a lot of personal space here in Canada. Yeah. We have a lot of. And a lot I mean, to entertain. I, I think you know. I mean, you and I live in different cities, and I think there's maybe like ten or three people, ten or thirteen people between you between us. You know, I don't know. It's there's not a whole lot of people. Yeah. Exactly. There. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you got to take a sandwich with you, because if you don't meet that guy. You know, 25 kilometers from here, yeah. right? You're gonna go hungry till the next guy. Yeah. Another 50 kilometers. I mean, you're so driving you're on right. the highway anywhere in Canada. There's usually a sign that says "last service for however many you know kilometers." Away. Yeah, better get some. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Just, and that's a scam too, because you realize when you stop at that one, that 10 minutes away, there's another one. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and you don't want to drive around and go back and say, "Hey, <laughs> you hosed me, sign." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, the sign was put up before the other gas. That's right. Built, that's right. The better one was built. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't tell you that, though. Because highway improvements you know? don't happen every day. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. An Iron Man, all jets of place. He fights and fights with his motor race. A Spider can spins a web any size. 
catches thieves just like flies. Look out! Here comes a Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, but he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there! There goes a Spider-Man in the chill of night at the scene of a crime. Like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward. Look out! There goes a Spider-Man. Watch out, Mr. Hodgson. A streak of light. He arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, but he's ignored. Action is his reward. To him, life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a Find the spider man. This has been a COC production.